Welcome to the Making App School Cool podcast, the link between research, practice, and theory for those interested in the activities youth are involved with during non-school hours. The Making App School Cool podcast is produced by Case for Kids, a division of Harris County Department of Education, and I'm your host, Mike Wilson. The topic of this week's episode of the Making App School Cool podcast is the influence school connectedness has on students' performance. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Students who feel connected to their schools are more likely to have better academic achievement, have better attendance, and are less likely to engage in behavior that may remove them from the classroom setting. There are key incidents within our country's history which has played a role in how students feel connected to their schools. For example, the impact of school integration in the late 1950s to mid-1970s forced numerous students to enroll in schools which they had no emotional attachment with. This period was followed by the next 40 years, which seen a growing number of minority groups enter the middle class, which changed the demographics of neighborhoods. While these changes were positive, there still remained a large number of minority students living in poverty. All of these changes affected the diversity of numerous student populations, including linguistically, ethnically, and by economic status. So, it should be no surprise that there has emerged an increased awareness of how students' feeling regarding their educational setting has influenced their engagement with their schools. To discuss this issue is my guest, Helen Spencer. Helen is currently a doctoral student and research assistant at the University of Houston's Graduate School of Social Work. Her studies include researching contextual factors such as school support that promotes adolescents' well-being in complex families. She is a former journalist who previously served as Harris County Department of Education's Chief Information Officer, supporting technology and communications. In this role, she became familiar with the out-of-school time field, including providing support for the mission of Case for Kids to increase equitable access to youth services. Helen received her Master's of Social Work from the University of Houston and has a daughter who is also a student at the University of Houston, a stepdaughter and two stepsons. She and her partner currently live in Houston, Texas. Helen, thank you so much for being my guest on the Making F School Cool podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really, really good. I'm real excited about our show and our topic today. Uh, first, I would like to start off with the question of what created your interest in student issues? Well, this is me. I just want to be clear that this is me speaking about my own experience. Um, I am still in the very early stages of developing a research agenda. So this isn't coming from any research that I've done, what I'm about to say. But going through the collective trauma of COVID and, you know, not just as a person trying to juggle multiple jobs and going to grad school, but also as a parent and a step-parent, I noticed so much of the focus in the media was on the adult experience. It was about how parents like me were struggling, whether they were homeschooling their children and trying to pay bills or just trying to navigate the ambiguity and this total loss of routine. And so it was just, it was a confusing time uh, for me and for so many people that I knew. Um, but it was especially tough for kids and for adolescents. And so naturally, I just started becoming interested in these ideas of family stress models and like how the stress is passed 
from adults to children, and this concept of resilience, which is why do some people and some families bounce back after adversity and others don't? And that's controlling for all of these these other factors. And so I, I just spent a lot of time thinking about like, what are some things that we can do as parents? What can I do as a step parent, as a neighbor to school age kids and just all of the people in that greater support system? What can we do to help children um, in the face of these multiple stressors? And how can you take that and help policymakers and practitioners create environments that help families of all shapes and sizes navigate those stressors. So that's kind of where it came from. And, and I think some of it is living in Houston. There, there was this great article and it was an op-ed in the Houston Chronicle a while back, and it talked about the trauma tax. And it was just this idea that it's not just one thing happening to you. It's you have families who haven't even repaired the holes in their wall from bursted pipes during the winter storm, and we start hurricane season on June 1. It's That's just life in Houston. And so I think if you're here and if you're interested in social change and if you're looking at all of those systems and you're experiencing as a human being what that's like, it's just kind of a natural direction for, for a new researcher. Well, I can sort of relate to some of the things that you're saying. I have two teenage daughters, and a lot of the times I look at my own educational experience, some of the things that I did, how do I respond to certain things, and their world is so different. And yeah. then when you throw in the COVID situation and you throw in all the social injustice, social inequality, issues that have popped up, uh, social media on their end, the phone is their friend now. Uh, it takes me a while to try to like step back and say, hey, I can't project what my youth experience was on them and say, hey, why aren't you doing this, that, and the other when their whole world is totally different. So yeah, it's, it's definitely has been a learning experience for me as, as well. Um, I'm aware that some of your research is on the subject of student connectedness. For our listeners, can you define what is student connectedness? I think the simplest way to define that is that it's it's when you feel seen. It's when you feel like your friends and your teachers genuinely care about you, not just how you do on the star test or whether or not you're making good grades, but like they genuinely care about who you are and how you're growing and that sense that you have permission to be yourself. To me, that's the, the simplest definition of student connectedness. In your opinion, why is it important for students to feel some connection to their school? Yeah, and this isn't just my opinion. I think that there is a lot of research coming out, taking a look at school connectedness. Um, but what I've experienced, and this is both as a student, I grew up um, in a military family. We moved around all the time. And, you know, feeling seen and feeling like I belonged to a part of a school community, that might be the only sense of belonging I had. And so if you look at school during a time of chaos, it can be this soft landing place. It can be this source of routine. And one of the things that they have found is that when students feel connected, 
um, that can offset, like you were talking about a lot of these challenges that, that people have that we can't necessarily control from, from our vantage point. But when they feel that connection, it can offset some of those challenges. And so you may have heard of ACEs, um, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, it's been a, a big discussion in a lot of circles uh, for many years. And so you, you count up the number of adverse childhood experiences you have, and that can in some ways predict different, or be associated with different outcomes. Um, and I think that when you have that school connectedness, having ACEs is not a life sentence. Um, if you have higher levels of school connectedness, and you can measure that by just asking things like, do you believe that your teacher cares about you? I mean, these are like very fundamental feelings. But if you measure that and you find high levels of that, you not only see improved academic performance, but what research has found recently is that you see a lasting effect across their entire lifespan. So it's not just about they end the year strong. Like I've been talking to my kids about this, all right, we're gonna finish strong this year. We've had a lot going on, but we're gonna finish strong. Um, but what they're finding is that like across the board, that connectedness that they feel during that critical time, it can change their whole trajectory. So you can, if you feel more connected at school, you're more likely to graduate from college. Um, when you're an adult, you're 50 to 60% less likely to struggle with some of these outcomes we talk about, like emotional distress and inter, um, um, intimate partner violence and substance use. And all of this, and, and I'm just speaking based on, this is longitudinal data. I think it was funded by the CDC. So it's not like an obscure study, like it is, um, thousands of research subjects tracked over time. Um, so we can't say that school connectedness causes all of these great outcomes, but we can say that it is strongly associated with them. And so to answer your question, a school or even after school environment that helps a child feel seen and understood can change the trajectory of their lives. So it's an area that's ripe for research, um, especially looking at it through a strengths-based lens rather than the sort of deficit lens of the past. So I, I think it's a really important area. And that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to get to work with the Harris County Department of Education and Case for Kids to get a better idea of how these out of school time programs are a part of that connectedness effect. You know, it's, it's interesting as you say that because it had me thinking about a lot of things. Uh, I was originally born in Ohio, up north. Uh, we moved to Texas, um, late elementary, early junior high. And uh, then when I went to high school, uh, the school I went to was, was Robert E. Lee. Um, now there were differing opinions in regards to the campus name itself, uh, and even some of the culture, because the school had only integrated, say, you know, 15 years prior. So in regards to how I felt about the school itself, gets a little mixed up with how I felt about my peers, my teachers, I was really in, into athletics. So, you know, I was, I felt a kinship with the school. There were some things that subconsciously, I didn't know educationally wise, why I didn't really felt like I fit 
100% into the school, but I definitely had some um, positive experiences and positive relationships. And of course, now the last couple of years when there's been a lot of uh, controversy in regards to school naming, um, our campus was one of the, the campuses that um, you had residents, I live in Baytown, that was on both sides. And so uh, for me, thinking in regards to today's student population, um, I thought that a lot of people were getting confused with the kinship and why they enjoyed going to that school, even if the name was different, versus yeah. the name itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think sometimes uh, we get those, those two confused. So that kind of brings me to my next question. When we think about the relationship between students and their school, how do you think the school environment and climate influences how the student feels in regards to attending the school? Yeah, I mean, you touched on a really great example of how climate and culture within a school are really hard to define because there's not like a checklist of things. Because uh, I think all of it is intertwined and it and it's all related. Um, do you do you cook? Do you enjoy cooking? Yeah. I have as I got an older. When I was young, it's like, heck, if I can microwave it, I was good. But now yeah. that I've gotten older, I prefer a really good home-cooked meal. And yes, yeah, so I've definitely, the last five or six years, uh, yeah. I cook quite often. Yeah, I have too. I don't know if it had to do with COVID and we were just home more, um, but I've really just, instead of rushing to put together meals, I actually take the time and try, try to learn different disciplines. Um, but one of the things that I learned probably about five years ago was like how to make a good roux um, during uh, gumbo season, which yeah. is not right yeah. now. It's like <laughs> gumbo season has passed for me because it's got to be cold outside. Yeah. But when I when I think about roux, I think about <laughs> how to answer that question because it's not this list of ingredients necessarily that makes a good roux. So you can have... Um, you know, the right, uh, a school name that isn't connected to Confederate war hero. You can have all of these things that you are making sure are addressed and you can still have a school that doesn't have a welcoming culture, just as you could have a school that has a terrible legacy attached to its name and still have students within that building who do feel welcome. Their, their experience is their experience. And so, so I think of the physical environment, the psychosocial environment, these relationships as all being intertwined. Like you can't have one without the other. This, this process is what we haven't figured out. We haven't figured out what is this mechanism that creates that great roux when you have all those ingredients. Because if you turn your back on the stove for a minute, it's ruined and it's the foundation for the entire recipe. So I just kind of, I. I think about process that way and mechanisms that way, and that's really what you're you're touching on um, in this question. And so, you know, I think we have to be more inclusive in our view of what school is. That it's not just this place where you go and you you you're at your desk at 8 a.m. and you leave at 3 p.m. That it is this whole broader community that is the school experience and that includes out of school time programming that includes programs that really build that um, the social emotional support that everyone has lost those developmental opportunities that were lost during the COVID-19 closures 
And so that's what I think. And I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because I think that needs to happen. And I, I respect agencies like Case. And we have so many agencies like this across the city who are not just sequestered away trying to solve for this issue like they're talking with their community they're talking with parents they're talking with students and they're relying more on their lived subjective experience than they are some best practices that were developed in another state 20 years ago and so i think that's a, a really important conversation to have and and i love the way that you asked that because it is this environment climate relationship and and that's the puzzle you know it's interesting you brought up ruth my mom's family <laughs> is from louisiana so i spent a lot of summers and out of school time in louisiana and uh of course you know food is a big part of the culture gumbo is a big part of the culture and i loved my grandmother which she passed it down to my mom their gumbo and so even when I go to restaurants and I uh, order gumbo, it's like the rule is different. They cook it slightly different. And to me, it's like, you know, one of the lineages or the legacies that I have adopted and I'm going to pass down to my kids is I've learned how to cook my mother's gumbo. <laughs> and so <laughs> we're going to pass that down. Uh, but speaking of family, actually, uh, what responsibility do students and their family have in regards to how students feel about their school. I know we do a lot of 21st century and there's a component that is family engagement. And I think sometimes, especially with the tests and the way teachers are teaching certain subjects, there's that thing on how much do you want family to be involved into your child's learning or involved with their schools. But at the same time, we know that the support is, is really needed. And now that we have a larger diversity of student populations, learning the backstory or the family lineage of particular students are important. So how do you think the home relationship with the school uh, promotes how students feel engaged with their campus? I mean, again, I, I think it's all interconnected. Um, and one of the things that, that we talked a lot about when I worked at Houston ISD, this was years ago, and I supported the Family and Community Engagement Division at HISD. And um, one of, I, I would hear from different people that parents don't want to be involved in their child's education. And it made me furious because I had never met a parent or a step-parent or a grandparent or an aunt or someone who was supporting their child. I had never met anyone who said, I don't want to be involved in my child's school. But what I did know is that there were parents who were intimidated by going to a school. They had had bad experiences as children in the school. And I think once you understand that, you start thinking about how can we not only make schools welcoming for children, but for their families. And so that was a big focus of the work that we did at Houston ISD. And we weren't the only ones. I think a lot of school districts have come to that realization over the years and have been looking for ways to improve that by just being more innovative and just thinking about 
what can we do to go where people are? What can we do to be less intimidating? And what that looks like is you're translating your materials into more languages. You're offering um, more opportunities for them to get involved. So it's not just if you miss the PTO meeting or you don't want to join the PTO, you can't be involved. There's a whole menu of options that you know, could be a telephone town hall that you participate in, or it could be you go in person or Zoom, um, or they go to where people are in the community. That's what the, the Family and Community Engagement Department at Houston ISD, they were all over town, all at community centers, at um, libraries, grocery stores, places where families were already going to, to meet them where they were. Um, and the other thing I would say about that, so, you know, investing in family and community engagement as, as part of your culture in whatever way makes sense for your community. There's no one size fits all approach. So it's like, you got to know your community and what works for them. Um, but just overall, something that I think that all families can do is to advocate for themselves, is to speak up when there's an issue and escalate if they don't get the response that they need because there's it's so true in public education that you know open mouths only open mouths get fed and in large public school systems this is absolutely true you would see some schools in a large school district would have state-of-the-art everything and a school down the street has window ac units and it's and I'm not going to name any schools or any districts, but I can tell you, like, I've, I'm in a zip code that has that very same phenomenon. Um, and so I think that advocating in your circle within your family is hugely important. And then I think being civically engaged, that is the next step. Um, vote in your school board election get involved because these school board elections, and we were talking about some of this earlier, they have huge consequences. Those school board elections, they are going to determine what gets taught or what gets excluded from your curriculum. They're going to determine, in some cases, what books are in your library. Like these have huge consequences, yet the turnout in a lot of these local school, school board elections is 5%, 10%. Um, and the other uh, benefit to that as well is that if you become civically engaged as a parent, your child is going to see that. Um, and so take your children to, to the polling booth with you. Talk to them about why this is so important. And school is a way where they can absolutely see that connection between civic engagement and representation. So that that would be my my thought on simple things that you can do as as a family or um, as as a parent or caregiver. And some of the schools that are in the older, less economic areas, one of the things I have seen is they've opened up their campuses to the residents of those communities. So they do like GED classes, they'll do yes. English as a second language classes on the campus. They'll have um, elected officials come speak at the campus so that at least that area has a, uh, a voice. And those are just some examples in which um, I guess you can create a connectedness with the community and the school. Uh, can you think of any other uh, activities schools can do that can promote activities that would increase student and their families' connectedness? 
You know, this is all, this is just my take based on me as a parent and as somebody who used to work um, in a very large school district, but so much of it is structural. Um, I feel like schools are dealt this unfair burden in so many ways that they're, they're providing meals, they're providing social and emotional support, they're providing before school, after school care, life lessons, character lessons, the, the whole gamut, healthcare. They can't do it alone. And I also feel like they can't do it without adequate funding. And so if I had a magic wand, <laughs> I, would, I would continue to focus on the things that you and I were talking about, that creating those trusting and caring relationships. And that's not just students and their teachers, that's teachers and the students' parents, the students' grandparents, all the people who care for them. And I love that you mentioned ESL and GED programs. Um, that is a, a new trend that is a, a wonderful way to bring the community into your doors and to support parents so they can support their kids. A lot of times the parents want to help, but they don't feel equipped to do it. And so that that's a beautiful way to address that and going beyond that into skill building workshops, not just ESL and GED, but really anything that the community identifies as a need it can be community health clinics that you're having at the school. Um, and you know, back to my point about how schools can't do this in a vacuum is bringing in all of the community programs that exist. And there are so many great programs in Houston. And I saw that I went to the the Case for Kids End of Year Awards and got to meet folks from the YMCA, from Boys and Girls and all of these, you know, large and small entities whose sole mission is to help adolescents and their families succeed. And so bringing those folks in and having those wraparound social emotional supports, um, I think that's huge. And also, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this specifically or not, but helping families understand like what they can do at home to support their students. So even if it's not feasible for them to be on campus all week as a volunteer because they're working long schedules, there may be some very concrete things that they can do at home to support their children's learning. And one last thing just came to mind because um, I'm remembering back to the times when we did some of this work in Houston ISD is we tried to address the barriers that keep families from participating. And some of those, and it, it all goes back to money in many cases, but if they can't get to the school, how are they supposed to participate? If you're having events um, only during work hours and none during the weekends or evenings, how are they supposed to miss work to do that? Um, if they have multiple children, what do they do about childcare? If it's a single mom or a single dad and they don't have a support system. And so thinking through those things, we would um, offer sometimes food and childcare and transportation to these events that were really critical to the community. And in terms of communication, we talk a lot about translation and, and making things available in multiple languages. And I also feel like the way we communicate should 
be respectful of our audience. And many times it isn't, it's very, and, and it's not intentional, but it can be filled with jargon. It can be filled with acronyms that people aren't familiar with and that makes them feel unwelcome. And so I think just adding to the laundry list of things, I would not want to leave that out as a person with a career, former career in communications and journalism, the power of words is in everything that we do. Right. You know, it's interesting because you said so much that uh, I agree with. And I think, you know, unfairly at times we look at schools as this uh, community center beyond just educating our children, but being a hub in which uh, families and people within the locale of the school can receive certain services. And to educators, sometimes that's unfair. But then on the flip side, uh, one of the constants that we have is the school itself. And so, you know, there are so many things that the, the schools can do that could support the needs of their particular community, which in turn, I think, would see a reciprocal effect where um, the community itself will support the schools. And you do see a lot of that in elementary areas. Schools mm -hmm. tend to be located in the neighborhoods of, a ele uh, of elementary are located in the neighborhoods um, of where a lot of their students reside. But as they progress, it seems like it, it distances itself um, a little more. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a important factor that I think at times um, when it's working well, when communities are connected to their schools and are getting support from, you know, health departments, legal aids, and it, it, it works extremely well. But when that part doesn't exist, then it, uh, it definitely becomes a struggle. Uh, before we end this episode, do you have any final comments or, or thoughts you'd like to share? I just want to give a shameless plug to the University of Houston and the Graduate College of Social Work because one of the reasons why when you brought up this idea of doing a podcast, I, I jumped at, at the opportunity because there's this new initiative that they're working on in the Graduate College of Social Work where faculty members and students are working together to make the research more accessible because that's a big issue with research even research that is done well with the communities it sometimes doesn't make the translation into action and so there's a new initiative called the here lab um, you can learn more about it at uh.edu social work and they are investing in conversations like this where we talk about the strengths of our communities. We talk about the systems of oppression, and we believe that this is the pathway for social change. We can't just sit back and research people. We research with people. We research for communities. So I just wanted to make that little plug and just thank you again for having me on your show. Oh, my pleasure. Um, and thanks for sharing that with us. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to hear uh, ongoing research, current research, making it available and in quote unquote layman's terms mm -hmm. so people can understand, especially in this age now where terms like fake news and people get 
kind of thrown down this rabbit hole where they're not quite sure what to think anymore. So mm -hmm. uh, I applaud the University of Houston for doing that. I applaud you for doing the work and the research you're doing. Uh, in fact, I'll probably reach out to you a few more times just to touch base on, you know, how the relationship between education, between families, between social structure and all that influence um, students' accomplishments. So again, I appreciate you and thank you for being our guest on today's episode of the Making That School Cool podcast. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's been great. As always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today, where our topic focused on the influence of school connectedness as it has on students' performance. Please join us for future episodes as we continue to explore issues relevant to the out-of-school time field.